Hello and welcome to another edition of the Talking Pharmacy podcast. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and joining me on the pod this week are Arthur Walsh, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist, and Rob Darricott, director of policy at Communications International Group. And I suppose the first thing to say is we are now an award-winning podcast. Yes, we were thrilled to pick up an Avicenna Media Award last week for the pod. So thank you to the team at Avicenna and indeed to all of you out there who listen and contribute to our podcasts. Well, it's been an extremely busy week on the newsbeat. We've had the supermarkets pulling out of pharmacy, comings and goings at Phoenix, and the Prime Minister warned by sector leaders that many pharmacies might not survive the year. There's so much to talk about. So let's get cracking with Good Week, Bad Week. Arthur, kick us off. Good Week, Bad Week. Yeah, well, I have a good week that I'll get to in a moment. But uh, first, I think it'd be remiss not to, as you just mentioned, uh, point out that the supermarket pharmacies are are in a in a bad way. Uh, perhaps uh, two weeks ago, I think the last time we recorded, we were talking about um, the Lloyd's Pharmacy Sainsbury's closures, which is you know a, like a seismic uh, decision affecting uh, up to two thousand jobs, and uh, and now this week, as you say. We have the news that uh, Tesco's is closing eight of its uh, 220 pharmacies as part of its uh, kind of as part of a corporate shakeup that's kind of looking at all kind of areas of the business. And also last week we had Asda closing seven of its pharmacies um, and that is going to affect 14 pharmacists and 48 other staff members. So that's kind of setting the scene uh, for some of the some of the, the, the trends in terms of closures that, that we're seeing. But I have a good week, a good news story to to concentrate on today, which is uh, which is a young pharmacist in Glasgow who's bought her first, first pharmacy. This is Claire Brogan. Uh, she's 27 years old. She joined Re- Register in 2017. She's bought Fraser's Pharmacy in Newton Means in Glasgow, and she's renamed it Broom Pharmacy. And there's lots of plans for growing the business. She's already created three new jobs and started a home delivery service. Uh, she plans to recruit more. The team currently stands at 12, but she wants to re- recruit a pre-registration pharmacist and to go on uh, developing the pharmacy service offering. Uh, uh, Claire is an independent prescriber and... Um, or she's training to become an independent prescriber, I should say, because she wants to deliver the Pharmacy First Plus service, which we hear so much about Pharmacy First in Scotland. And it's great to see somebody so enthusiastic about um, about uh, that you know, delivering that service to patients and also about kind of what it means in terms of your professional standing as a pharmacist. Uh, she acquired the pharmacy using a loan from the Unity Trust Bank, which kind of specializes in social enterprises or or businesses that provide a social benefit so you can see how pharmacies fit squarely in the middle of that um she has kind of an interesting background in in terms of her family her parents run a wholesale fruit and veg company that's been uh, based in Glasgow and family owned since 1946. Uh, she says going into the family business was not for me, but running the pharmacy is similar in many aspects in terms of, you know, providing a quality service and dealing with the many daily challenges and issues. And she says she gained a huge amount of experience managing uh, two shops for her previous employers at M&D Green. And she's just excited to set up on her own. So, yeah, I mean, there's lots of kind of doom and gloom about about uh, pharmacies closing, particularly the big multiples. Um, and I, I think, to be honest, over the year, we'll see a lot more of that. But it's kind of exciting to see that 
that pharmacies are are changing hands and, and young pharmacists are are getting their hands dirty and so enthusiastic about you know a uh, delivering services to patients and b providing a, a satisfying place for for their employees to work so yeah i thought it was a, a good news story this week oh very good news story yeah good luck to to clear up in glasgow they it's, it's fantastic isn't it when you see you know young contractors um entering the sector and uh it's very promising. I'm sure Claire is going to do great things uh, up there in Glasgow. All right, then I'll go next. And I'm going to do one of Arthur's um, interesting weeks for the long running saga that is pharmacy supervision. I don't know why I'm laughing. It's been a, a very painful saga. Anyway, this is the news uh, that uh, the pharmacy bodies have come together to form a working group under Michael Twigg from the University of East Anglia to explore the future of pharmacy supervision as the government embarks on its long-awaited legislative reforms in this uh, rather controversial area. So um, AIM, APT UK, the CCA, the NPA, uh, Pharmacist Defence Association, RPS, are all involved. Uh, the GPHC and the Pharmaceutical Society of Northern Ireland are sitting on the group as observers, as are the Department of Health and social care. And the group has already met, uh, had its first meeting last month, uh, and that was described as positive and collaborative. And the idea here is to, is to come up with recommendations that will inform ministers as they develop future legislation. So a um, couple of things to note here. Firstly, <clears throat> uh, lessons appear to have been learned from mistakes of the past, because this looks very much like a, a, a true cross-sector more transparent, collaborative approach and an attempt by the profession at last to try and take ownership of the supervision issue and to set and lead the agenda. And that's a big thing that's been sadly lacking in the past. And also, now this is interesting, um, to ensure impartiality, the Association of Optometrists will act as the group secretariat. Why is this? Well, maybe because it seems sensible to have some external involvement and perspective given the extreme sensitivity of the subject and there are parallels with optometry actually um i hadn't realized but the optical sector recently began a call for evidence uh, and a consultation process on changes to the opticians act 1989 which included similar issues uh, around delegation and supervision so there we are. No, I haven't got time to go into all of the history of how we got to this point, other than to say, uh, as I mentioned at the start, it's been extremely painful. And I'm certainly not going to speculate on what the group may come up with, because that's probably going to be worth a, a pod on its own when the time comes. But I will say I wish the working group well. I actually happen to think there's a pretty wide consensus on the need to change pharmacy's practice model to reflect modern demands. It's just finding a way that enables the workforce to maximise their professional capabilities to enhance patient care without compromising access to a pharmacist or risking patient safety. It's finding a way to do this that everyone agrees on in pharmacy. Well, you know, that's what's proven elusive so far. Uh, so good luck to the group. I actually do think what most people do agree on, by the way, whatever the outcome here is that um, pharmacy technicians will be key in all of this. So an interesting week for pharmacy supervision. Um, we're going to be watching what the working group comes up with, with interest. Um, 
Rob, what did uh, what's your take on this then? Uh, I, I very much support what you've just said, Richard. I, you know, I think you can only wish the group uh, well in its deliberations uh, over this very, very um, naughty subject. Um, I suppose it's a real challenge, isn't it? You know, if 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 replacing uh, supervision or modifying it um, was easy, then it might have been done some time ago. But I guess um, the, a group, collaborative group set up with all sort of parties represented is, is, is a good approach. I suppose my start point, and I hope the start point for the group really, is if you had a blank sheet of paper, what would you what would you say? How would you create a safe system? Um, and I hope that, uh, personally, I hope the group sort of takes a little leaf out of some of the thinking around um around what around the the whole pmeds debate which is which is an interesting thing of what happens when you when you don't have an awful lot of confidence in in um in what you're what you're trying to achieve uh the thing that always strikes me about that is that the way that the the way that medicines categorization is set up uh, in this country in the medicines act um the safety bit is for a P medicine is in the pharmacy, and yet pharmacy has done itself, you know, a considerable disservice at times by this construction, which has stuff stuck behind the counter, and is the stuff, you know, is the material behind the counter, and can patients um, actually access packs and have a look at them properly? And I think it's a it's a really challenging thing, and thinking about the pharmacy as as representing in in the legal sense a, a safe system in itself is 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 a good start point and therefore how do you how do you reinterpret what has historically been supervision so remember where that started more than 60 70 years ago in a in a modern context where increasingly things are either done by uh, different groups of people within a within a a, a team or increasingly by um not by people at all but by machines and i think that's that's a really interesting question so i mean it boils down to what makes something safe what bits of a process actually need any kind of oversight who can do things what qualifications do they need who assess competence to do things um and then ultimately i guess what does the law need to say and what are the impacts of any changes suggested on everything else so yeah, we can only wish them well. While I'm talking though, um, I saw something really interesting that sort of feeds into this uh, on um, an interplay on uh, Twitter, as it was, I think yesterday, uh, between a couple of people I will definitely be reaching out to because I want to um, hear a little bit more of their thinking. So two people I I, I, I don't know, um, but I give them a bit of a shout out. First of all, there is uh, Dan Greenwood, who is an academic pharmacist, looks at like uh, possibly at the University of Manchester. I haven't looked up to find exactly where he is practising. But um, it started off a, a debate really about um, pharmacy. Do you think pharmacy will push past these endless short courses to undertake very simple clinical services? Imagine a GP saying, sorry, I can't examine your left leg today as I've not done a one hour CPPE course. CGPPE course in that um, total nonsense and that's something that I uh, have a lot of sympathy with but then um, that's sprung up a, a little bit of a back and forth with um, Paul Forsyth who is um, working out of uh, Scotland 
Um, he's a, a consultant pharmacist uh, in cardiology, and he um, has written a paper which I am going to read on advanced pharmacist practice. Uh, suggests pharmacy needs to radically modernise their approach to advanced practice skills development and implementation. Um, but that then, the bit I really wanted to come to was the bit where uh, the response to, to that, uh, highlighting that, um, is Dan Greenwood raising a concern about uh, current leaders in the profession practising on the front line. Um, it's very common in other professions, but not ours, it seems. And I think that's a really interesting point. I was certainly very conscious when I was uh, pretending or, or trying to represent pharmacy that on many occasions, uh, a much better representation was provided by somebody who was uh, on the front line and could um, speak very, very directly from practice. Um, and so I also, bringing it back to the subject at hand, the supervision discussion, I hope that um, many, many frontline practicing pharmacists can get involved in this discussion because ultimately what's going to work is what people feel will work. And again, historically, there have been solutions suggested by groups of people sitting in rooms who don't have the day-to-day -day experience that ultimately don't really survive contact with the front line. And so I, I hope that as the, as the group develops its thinking, that people can see that thinking and that thinking shared so that people who, who on a day-to-day -day basis are confronted with some of the challenges of supervision who might have a view about how things could be done better, get an opportunity to interact with the whole process and and help to, you know, hopefully bring out bring about something which works for everybody going forward. Um, something that, that strikes me then just listening to you there, you know, I said at the start, you know, and I do believe there is a there is a pretty wide consensus that that there needs to be change to the pharmacy practice model. But then as you pointed out, what is the end point? And is there consensus about that? Do you get a feeling out there, Rob, that we can actually pilot our way through this as a sector to, to an agreed end point? I, I think, uh, yes, uh, because I suspect that in the day-to-day -day practice of this out in the real world, people have already modified their thinking around what this is. I mean, it, it, it's always been a case, I think, when you start to think about how we've got to where we are with the whole supervision discussion, that our our view of it and our perspective on it is is partly to do with when we, uh, when we qualified and how we've practised and where we've practised. And um, given that the whole word itself has been interpreted and reinterpreted particularly by our learned friends in various cases over the years um what people actually think supervision is is probably uh, there's probably many different variations of that as there are pharmacists on a register so i think there will be plenty of models um in place right now where people have um taken the taken the license that they have within the within the nebulous context concept of supervision to practice in in ways which fit the team that they have available and the skills of the people that they have around them and and so you know that's another real reason for me to have to, to have a, a full engagement of people who are uh, managing this issue on a, on a day-to-day -day basis and, and not leaving it to necessarily to people who, who aren't in that fortunate position. 
Yeah, really, really interesting that, Rob. Um, well, let's see. Let's see what the working group comes up with. But yes, let's hope they get plenty of um, views from the grassroots. Okay. Um, well, let's finish with you, Neil. Uh, good week or bad week? It's, I'm going to go for bad week. Um, and it's been a bad week for the chair of the Royal College of General Practitioners, Camilla Hawthorne, um, for comments that she made just about a week ago, uh, in which she said that pharmacists should not be regarded as, quote, GPs on the cheap. Um, and to put her remarks in context, she, she was responding to a report by the All-Party Pharmacy Group earlier this month that called for community pharmacies to be better funded and, and for the pharmacy sector to be more involved in health policy development. <clears throat> um, and in very pointed remarks, she was putting pharmacists in their place, I guess, um, whilst at the same time acknowledging their worth, as she put it, in minor ailments and, and minor conditions. Um, so basically, she said that pharmacists should not work beyond their competence and are not the answer to a workforce crisis in general practice, which she clearly thinks is better equipped at handling patients with complex, multiple health problems than pharmacy is. Um, she wants to see the government focus on funding general practices better. And again, she hammered home her point that, in her words, pharmacists are not substitutes for, for, for GPs. And this is what she said. She said, I mean, I could have picked out a variety of quotes, but I've just picked this one out. While we are keen to see initiatives that will ease the pressure on our struggling family doctor service, pharmacists should not be expected to work beyond their areas of competency. And the government will find that their role is not a solution to the chronic shortage of GPs, as many patients come to see us with more than one problem, and these can be complex. And she didn't stop there. Um, she went on to say that pharmacy premises infrastructure needed considerable upgrading to provide confidential services to patients, but warned that that was unlikely to, quote, be a money-saving op option. So she's basically saying there that it's it's not worth investing in pharmacy premises because it won't generate a return on investment, which I think is pretty low, a uh, pretty low blow. Um, unsurprisingly, her remarks drew a response. Um, actually, surprising, not, not as a bigger response as I anticipated, but Roland's pharmacy superintendent, pharmacist uh, Stephen Thomas did come back and he said uh, he described her comments as inaccurate insulting as well as un uh, as well as surprising and disappointing and he insisted I think quite rightly that pharmacy has never positioned itself as a cheap alternative to GP care and I, th I think this taps into a feeling of insecurity that someone is encroaching on your territory a sense of being threatened that does linger at the top of general practice and we've seen uh, over the in recent years um you, you, you know, the odd leading G gp coming out with with comments similar similar to the to, to the ones that miss miss hawthorne came out with i mean we will remember towards the end of last year we had uh azim majid who is, is the head of primary care and public health at imperial college london publicly urging the government to increase its investment in gp services instead of pushing ahead with the pharmacist prescriber program in fact he even went on to say that independent pharmacist prescribing would fragment primary care which is which is utterly ridiculous um so I, I i do think there's a i do get a sense right at the top of general practice there's a there's a there's still a a cultural competitive uh, i wouldn't say anti-pharmacy but there's there's certainly a sense of um insecurity there that you know that pharmacy is suddenly encroaching on what they regard as their traditional territory um and i had an interesting chat um, recently with Ian Strachan, uh, the former MPA board member. And, and he, uh, you know, that was one point he made to me. He said, uh, and this is an interview we'll, we'll, we'll publish uh, in next month's edition, but he said to me, 
that there's a big cultural problem um, within the NHS. And that's one of the things that's holding community pharmacy back. Um, yes. Com- uh, and as Rob alluded to in, in, in his points just now, you know, yeah, pharmacy can get its house in order in terms of its, uh, in terms of supervision and ensuring that they have the proper clinical skills to, to really be at the forefront of, 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 of healthcare, which we know they are already, but to be seen outside of pharmacy by others, um, it's it's not I don't it's not as straightforward as 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 we'd like to think it is and I and one of the points Ian Strachan made was that general practice, um, you know it, it it's it's the way it regards community pharmacy, there's still a bit of um a, a bit of friction there uh, where they where they they don't want pharmacy to encroach too much on on traditional territory so I, I think that's a real problem I still think it exists and and this is this was just another reminder of that. Um, now, there's a view that we shouldn't give these people airtime and just ignore them, but I think we should expose and criticise their ignorance. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Neil. Um, see, here's the thing. Sometimes I sit there and think, I don't understand what's going on here. Where, where do these kind of things kind of blow up from? Because I I read that, her comments, I read the professor's comments, and I thought, yeah, I agree with most of those. Uh, pharmacists don't want to be seen as GPs on the cheap, and pharmacists don't want to operate, you know, beyond their their competencies. So, I, to be honest, I couldn't see what all the the fusses are out. You know, I don't. I, we don't want pharmacists to be GPs on the cheap. We want pharmacists, you know, operating at the at the, at the top end of their licenses and using their skills to to take pressure off GPs. So. Um, yeah, that does that doesn't make pharmacists uh, cheapies on the cheap. That just makes pharmacists part of the health team, doesn't it? Working in collaboration with everyone with um, with the patient at the centre. So I, yeah, I just, to be honest, Neil, I didn't see what the what the fuss was about. This was uh, very much something and nothing to me. Um, like Rob, you come in. What what did you make of this uh, storm in the teacup? Um, these comments which we get from time to time they they always feel to me a bit like playing to their own gallery um so i'm broadly with you richard i think that there's there's um there's a bit of they well they would say that wouldn't they if as a sort of leader of general practice they are put in a corner and asked a question that they have to feel they have to respond to so i i think that's that's the challenging bit isn't it um it's a it's a shame in a way that given that uh, there's plenty of people around who think primary care in its broadest sense is the answer to it is the answer to a lot of the challenging questions that we we don't get to the point where um the gp leader might say might actually talk positively about a, a greater use of the wider primary care team rather than polarize the debate into uh, into silos which is you know certainly doesn't help patients and the public and i don't think it moves the debate along very far either yeah i, I mean i would just add to that and, and leading on from what you said richard and um, yeah no I, I, if you look at what she said pharmacists are not gps on the chat i mean she's right i mean you, you yeah with pharmacists are not gps on the chat but i think it was the manner in which she said it that she almost she's and i can see what stephen thomas is it's thinking there as well you know she's kind of almost positioned 
that kind of view as a way of beating pharmacy over their head. Um, and she does go on to say that, you know, the government should be funding GPs and, uh, and general practice rather than investing in pharmacy premises. I mean, it, it's a case and also questioning questioning the competency of pharmacists to, to do a, a good clinical job. So I think it's the way that she positions the debate. You know, it wasn't... It, <laughs> I can see what you mean. Yes, what's the fuss all about? But I can see, I can see where um, people might get a little bit hot under the collar. And that lively discussion brings us to the end of this week's edition. My thanks to Arthur, Neil, and Rob. All the Talking Pharmacy podcasts are available on the Pharmacy Magazine website. Uh, but until the next time, thanks very much for listening. Mm-hmm.